Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. This is the most important draft for Ryan Pace and his time with the Chicago Bears as general manager. So we talk about the NFL draft and the Bears with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000. Glad that you're with me here on this Wednesday night. Man, the draft is tomorrow, and even though the Bears don't have a first-round pick, I still think it's very compelling just to see where some of the best of the best is going to fall. And then from there, I'm seeing what's going to happen on Friday and Saturday with this Bears team because when you take a look at the needs for the Bears, when you take a look at a cornerback next to Kyle Fuller, when you look at the offensive line where I believe there's a need on – not only left tackle behind Leno Jr., but also some competition at the right guard spot. So I believe the Bears need to address uh, several uh, guys on the offensive line. And then the tight end spot, too. Just because they got Jimmy Graham doesn't necessarily mean that the Bears are set at tight end. They have to be able to find several tight ends. One, if you don't find one in the draft, shame on them because I don't care if they've got a a parade of tight ends in there. I don't know at the U or the Y position if they have one that can really be a difference maker. Now, they might have a couple that can block, and that's fine, but whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Foles or Trubisky, there is a need for a quarterback or a tight end uh, to be able to help the quarterback, Foles or Trubisky, for this offense. At the wide receiver spot, this group is very deep. And we're going to find this out tomorrow. We've been talking about this for the last month, and I've been very proud of our coverage here on this program because we've had a lot of experts, uh, college and draft and pros, that know football in and out on this program. And, you know, the wide receiver group, they say everybody has said, hey, these wide receivers are really good. And as a college football fan, I know what a lot of these players look like on the college level. Of course, that's why we have guests on to talk about what they might look like in the pros. And I I think that next to Robinson and Anthony Miller, you need to have another wide receiver because I don't know what you get from Ridley. As a Georgia guy that saw Ridley play, I thought he was a very good player, good talent, but he didn't get a lot of playing time last year at the wide receiver spot. So maybe this will be the season to tell the story about what Ridley can do. But at the same time, if there's a run on wide receivers, you got to jump in there at some point and get you another one Uh, and, and just... Looking at where we are with this team, 12-4 and four into the playoffs, 8-8 eight and eight out of the playoffs, now the big question mark is this year on exactly what is going on with Ryan Pace. The draft starting tomorrow, right now, if he wasn't before, Ryan Pace for sure is on the clock. He's definitely on the clock because as the Bears have six or more picks, and I say or more because who knows if you'll see Ryan Pace move up higher in the second round or try to garner more picks for uh, the next couple days or for the future. Not sure, but I know that he'll have at least six picks. Got to have a couple guys in the second round, fifth round, sixth and seventh round. The Bears and the 49ers are the only teams without a third and fourth round draft pick. And there is a big, big space between the 50th pick and the 163rd pick for the Bears. So that's just got (laughs) to... When you're mortgaging the future to try to plug holes today, you're hoping that with the pickup of Quinn and of Foles and of Graham and others that the Bears and Pace looked at in the offseason here, that those players can be productive. But I believe it is important. And Chris mentioned it earlier. He said, too, I said at least in that second round, someone's got to be a day one starter. 
Someone's got to be able, and I don't care what positions, all the positions we went through, the Bears have to find themselves uh, a player that can start day one because it just shows you how fleeting the NFL is. People thought like when the Atlanta Falcons had that huge lead against the New England Patriots and the Patriots came back to win, like, that's all right. That's all right. Atlanta will be back. No. Rams get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, they didn't score much against the the Patriots, but that's okay. They got golf. They got Gurley. They got a strong defense. They'll be back. No. And, and San Francisco played close to Kansas City. Kansas City won. That's okay. Garoppolo, Kittle, the tight end, strong defense. They'll be back. Who knows? The NFL is so fleeting. Many thought that after the Bears went 12-4, and four, that oh, it's okay. They'll be back. Well, 12-4 to 8-8. Now, was was this season going to be? We have no idea. The strength of the team, to me, is the defensive line, strong as that the position. Uh, and I don't believe in drafting uh, a defensive lineman just because he falls to you in the draft. Find the holes that you need to plug. It's about today, and it's about the future. The quarterback spot, because you have Trubisky and Foles, is solidified. I don't believe that Ryan Pace has to have his arm twisted to, to draft a quarterback. Let's not get into semantics. Fill the holes that you need to. You need to have some guys right away that can start on this football team. The running back position with Montgomery, I'm fine with Montgomery. I just wish they would run him more. As I mentioned, the D-line is the strongest position. But your the core, the best players on this team, and let me go to Facebook on this, facebook.com, Jonathan Hood, because I asked earlier, who are the three best players in the 2020 Bears roster? Who's the core? So I'm looking at this list, and many of you chimed in, and a lot of it is defensive-minded, and that's great. Talking about the best three players on the Bears, who's the Bears core? Miguel says, Mac Robinson and Fuller, two out of three, defense. Michael Green, Robinson, Jackson, and Akeem Hicks. Um, Dan says, Mac Robinson and Eddie Jackson. Dexter Martell says, Mac Roquan and Hicks. James Gregory Travis says, Mac Jackson and Trevathan. Gerald Montgomery says, Jackson, Mac, and Hicks. If you, you're starting to get the rhythm, right? A lot of people are looking at the defense and say that's the strength and the only um, positive on the offense is Robinson. Well, in an offensive league, if Robinson's the only bright spot, then you're in trouble. You're in trouble. I'm looking through this this thread on my Facebook, and it has the same type of rhythm. You know, um, Sharp, Sharp, Dave Sharp uh, from our sales staff says, Mac Hicks and A. Robinson. You know, a, a lot of it's the same. Like, like Robert Thornton says, Mac Jackson and Goldman. Um, Todd Thiel says, Mac Hicks and Robinson. You know, uh, Mac Smith and Trubisky says Chris Gorski because you just have to be opposite everyone else, right? When everyone else zigs, you got to zag. So you got to be controversial by putting Trubisky as part of the core. Cool. Um, especially when they already got Nick Foles. But nonetheless, um, it, you have to know that a lot of the best players on this football team is on the defensive side. Khalil Mack, Roquan Smith, Kyle Fuller, Eddie Jackson, Allen Robinson on the offensive side. But you need more to have that balance. If the defense comes out strong as a top 10 defense, that's great. But how many games can they win? Because that means that they have to do their job and the offense's job as well. And let it not be said, I did not mention special teams a lot here in the last month. Everybody just thinks, oh, you just pick up a kicker, right? Just get Pinheiro back in there or just have some competition in there. That has to be settled. I'd rather not see Pinheiro be the kicker for this team this upcoming season. And I know, like, many like to minimize special teams, like you just find anybody from, you know, from an AM, PM to kick the ball. 
that that's not that's not how it works for the Bears. They've still been looking for a guy since Robbie Gold. And it's not Parkey, and the answer is not Pinheiro. they got to find someone to be able to kick the ball a lot better. Um, let's hear from Ryan Pace. Ryan Pace, the general manager for the Bears. I mentioned this is a huge draft for him, the most important draft, because if it does not work out, this very well could be like Phil Emery. It could be him just for a few years, and the team underachieves, and he could be out. And he knows that, too. That's why he plugs so many holes in free agency. Uh, Pace was talking about trading in the draft. Yeah, you know, we've, we've already touched base with, with numerous teams and, and talked over some of those things. I think that's, we do that every year. I think it makes it a little easier. But one of the things, you know, I was just talking to, to Matt and, and, and Joey Lane this morning about this. I think the, the continuity that we have with each other um, makes it easier. I, I don't feel like uh, trades for us uh, are going to be uh, any, more, any more difficult this year. I mean, I have a phone here right in front of me. No, it's the same phone that I would have in the draft room with every GM direct dialed on and click the one button. So I think everything's efficient. I think leaning on the continuity of our staff, um, I don't have any concerns about us pulling off trades or being aggressive in that nature if we need to be. I just, I just think that you have to be able to address the needs. If you have a need, you got to go get it. And again, the, the Bears don't have a first-round pick, but maybe they need to be able to look in the second round even further to try to find the picks that they want or make some deals. That's why he talked about trading the draft, and he's done it, and we'll see what happens. I just know that there's been a lot of missteps. This is why he mortgaged, as I mentioned, mortgaged the future for the present, and it hasn't worked out so far. And, and so we'll see what happens for this upcoming season. So here's another storyline about um, the NFL draft overall. There's going to be coaches and GMs at their home. It's all going to be done on Zoom or through Cisco, WebEx, or however they're going to do this. It won't be the type of draft that we've seen in the past. So the presentation tomorrow should be very interesting. So uh, Roger Goodell was on Get Up this morning, was talking about something that I think is in the back of our minds, and that is whether or not the season's going to – will the season start on time because – Every day we continue to hear and read about COVID-19 and whether or not you and I will be able to go to stadiums again. And what does that look like uh, in the month of September? So Goodell was asked, how do you plan for a shortened or pushed back season? You know, it's our job to be prepared for, you know, the different alternatives. I mean, as I like to say, and I think we demonstrated that here with the draft uh, in our off-season programs, that you have to be willing to adapt. You have to be prepared to adapt. Uh, You can't... uh, you can't expect um, or anticipate every move, but you. But your job is to try to be as prepared as possible. And so we do that. Uh, we'll continue to do that. Um, but we will. We will make sure that we're putting our players safe, in a safe position. Our coaches, our, our team personnel, everybody, our partners, and we'll make sure that those are the issues that we'll put first. And ultimately, it'll probably come down to uh, a league and a, a you know an owner decision. <laughs> So there it is, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL. Um, and so, by the way, on Thursday, tomorrow, day one of the draft, I'll be with Freddie Coleman after day one of the draft. We'll have the link on our social media, of course. You can uh, listen on ESPN Radio and ESPNRadio.com, also on SiriusXM Channel 80, as Freddie and I will break down the first uh, round of the draft. And then on Friday, a special here on ESPN 1000, 6 to 11 
or so will be on uh, during the Bears uh, picks on Friday. Tom Waddle will join me. Jeff Dickerson will join me. A couple of other guests as well. Uh, but it's going to be you and I breaking down the draft on Friday, special time, 6 o'clock for uh, round two and beyond on Friday. And then on Saturday, when the draft's over, I'll be on Saturday night after the draft is over, uh, all right here on ESPN 1000. All right, coming up, we hear from someone who really, really knows uh, his draft. You know, when it comes to the NFL and the draft, Matt Bowen does a great job breaking it down and writing about it on ESPN.com. We get his thoughts on Trubisky, the Bears, and the NFL draft. That'll be coming up next as our NFL draft continues right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Ladies and gentlemen, NFL Draft coverage starts tomorrow night right here on ESPN 1000. Looking forward to it. And here's someone who really knows his college football and has watched film on many of these draft picks that we're going to see uh, in the NFL draft this year. It's Matt Bowen from ESPN. You can read his columns on ESPN.com. Matt and I talked about the best player in college football and talked about Foles and bringing the best out of Trubisky. But one of the things I asked uh, Matt Bowen, I said, who is the best college football player that he watched on film? Obviously, Joe Burrow is going to be in that discussion. I mean, look at Joe Burrow, the quarterback from LSU, and what he did and the schedule he played against. Okay, they opened up on the road at Texas. Okay, to win that game in the fourth quarter. They played Auburn. They played Florida. They played Texas A&M. They played Bama, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma. I mean, the schedule was unbelievable, and he proved in each and every one of those games. He has every trait you want right now at the quarterback position for the modern NFL. Now, does he have an elite arm talent? He doesn't. But, again, the game's changed so much. You're throwing more inside the numbers. Your verticals are fade routes. You're throwing deep inside breakers. You're working in the middle of the field. He's a prime fit for today's league. I think he's, there's no question he's the number one pick. But to answer your question, who's the best player outside of Burrow? I think there's a couple names. I think you look at Chase Young, the defensive end from Ohio State, and what he put on film this year in the Big Ten Conference and how he can get to the quarterback, his athletic traits, his size, his speed off the ball. Another one is Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is a linebacker from Clemson. You know, 6'4", 238, 4'3", 40, elite athleticism. I think he's a safety, Jonathan. I think he's a safety in the National Football League. I think you put him in a quarters-based defense where he can play downhill, cut crossers, play as a robber safety, and then on third downs. And that's really where the league is going to right now. What can your safeties do on third down? Are they multi-positional defenders? What I mean by that, can they play in the post? Can they play quarters? Can they roll down in the box? Can they cover down on the slot? I'm not saying play true man-to-man coverage, but play more match coverage against the slot. And can they blitz off the edge? That's where a prospect like Isaiah Simmons immediately improves your defense and gives you a lot of options in the game plan. I know the Bears had to make some changes here in trying to get younger uh, as you need somebody on the other side of uh, Kyle Fuller that can pay dividends, get some mm-hmm. kind of bolster that secondary. Uh, I saw Akuda, but I know he won't be there for the Bears by the time they start drafting. Anything from the corner or safety position that stands out that the Bears could kick, take a look at that you saw in film? We're looking at the top of the second round then for Chicago. Obviously, Jeff Okuda from Ohio State is your number one corner. Man, coverage traits. I think C.J. Henderson from Florida is off the board by then. Trayvon Diggs from Alabama is probably off the board by then. And then you're looking at the next tier 
of defensive backs. I'll throw a couple names at you. Jalen Johnson from Utah. I really like Jalen Johnson. He's six foot one, two hundred plus pounds. He's got press coverage skills. He's very aggressive corner and off man coverage as well. He would fit well in the Bears defensive scheme, which is a lot of split safeties. Yes, they'll play single high, but really they're at their core split safety defense. I think he'd be good outside. Another one is Jeff Gladney from TCU. I don't know where Gladney's gonna fall. But I'll tell you right now, if I'm a defensive back coach, I want to coach this guy. I want to coach him. His competitive play style just jumps off the film, Jonathan. He is so competitive in press coverage and off-man coverage. He's aggressive. He goes after the football. Yes, that can get a young corner in trouble at times, but you have to know that as a coach, that I have this aggressive man corner. Sometimes he's going to take the bait. That's fine because the trade-off is I get the high-level competitive style with someone who can make plays in the football that is a willing tackler and can fit in my scheme and, again, fits modern NFL. You can be quarters base, like I talked about with the Bears, but eventually when it comes in third and two to six, you want to make a play, you got to get man coverage. Give me guys that can play man coverage. That's what I want right now. I look at the safeties, and the strong safeties I'm more familiar with, Matt, because we're just talking about uh, Winfield Jr. from Minnesota, who I saw, Delpit right. from, uh, from LSU, Jalen Elliott, saw a ton of him watching Notre Dame all season, uh, uh, Burgess from Utah. But then the other side with the free safeties, I only saw Jeremy Chin uh, play once with SIU, but mm-hmm. I haven't watched the film. But there's going to be a need for the safety spot as well for the Bears. Anybody stand out? Yeah, well, a couple of you mentioned, Anton Winfield Jr. Um, he plays with a sense of urgency. That's what you want. Someone who plays with a sense of urgency. Wants to get to the football. Get a ton of on-the-ball production this past year uh, up at the University of Minnesota. Made plays in the football. Finished plays. Again, perfect fit for the Bears defense in that quarters-based system at the safety spot. Pair him, pair him with Eddie Jackson. Okay? Um He's five foot nine, but he's also 203 pounds. He's got enough size to play in the National Football League. I also think he immediately helps you on special teams. Grant Delpit might be there from LSU. If it's 2018 film on Grant Delpit, I think he's a top 20 pick. But his film, I think, was inconsistent at times this year. Yes, he battled through an injury. That has to be discussed. But I didn't see the same sense of urgency, like I'm talking about with Winfield's film, that on Grant Delpit's film this year. He could slide down. But again, multi-positional value, he gives you that as a sub-package defender. He can roll down. He can be physical in the box. He's got traits you want. Jeremy Chin is very interesting because he played at a lower level. He played at Southern Illinois. But I'll tell you what, you watch Jeremy Chin on film, he's six foot three, two 221. Mm-hmm. He runs in the four fours. Okay? He has the movement traits of a free safety in terms of his ability to come out of quarters and play over the top of number two and transition to the football. Very physical at the point of attack. Should be dominant on special teams in the National Football League. And also, again, on third downs, he could be your sub-package linebacker. He has the size and the athleticism to get sideline to sideline. So Nick Foles comes over via trade. And it's kind of, we have not spoken since this uh, deal taken, has taken place. So I want to get your right. reaction when you first saw it because you and I talked uh, shortly after the season about Trubisky, how he's got to improve, 10's got to get better. But now Foles is right there. How much can this enhance Trubisky or set him back knowing that you got a proven veteran behind him? Well, I think uh, from a coaching perspective, you believe this gets the best out of Mitchell Trubisky, that you're giving him real competition. Whenever training camp starts, we don't know when that's going to be, Jonathan, but whenever it does start, and this is an open competition, if I'm a coach, I can't wait to see how Trubisky responds. This is why you play. This is why you play. Okay? As a player, you never want to be handed a job. That's just my my perspective as a foreign player. You want to compete and earn that job. Well, this is it right now. This is it. And 
it's going to be a real competition because you're bringing in Nick Foles, who has experience in the same system and won a Super Bowl in the same system. He knows the terminology. He knows the playbook. He knows the reads as a quarterback. He knows where the coach wants you to go with the football. So this is going to be a true competition. And it'll be interesting to see, one, how training camp is structured, when we start training camp, when the season actually starts. Again, we don't know those things right now. But if you're a coach, this could be a positive for Richard Trubisky. Because you really, you want to see him go out there and win the job. I understand you brought in Nick Foles. But you want to see your quarterback who you drafted and you traded up to get go out there and win the job. Now let's see if he can do it. Because if he can't do it, well now what do you have? You have a quarterback who can run your system, be efficient with the football, get the ball out quickly and understand where to go with the football. Matt, I saw that the the Bears are able to get uh, Jimmy Graham, a veteran that has been there and done that. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how much he's got left. Hopefully there's something as a veteran that can provide a presence for this offense. But I still am steadfast in the belief that the Bears still have to look in the draft for one as well. you got a veteran in Graham. Okay, great. But you got to look at Komet uh, from Notre Dame. you got to look at... Um, I mean, uh, Pinckney uh, at Vanderbilt, maybe not, but uh, but mm-hmm. Hopkins from Purdue. There's some guys there that the Bears should still look at. What would you see from the tight end spot on film? Well, they, I'll start with Graham first. Okay, I agree with him, Jimmy Graham. I think his play speed has, has dropped dramatically. Uh, you don't see the same athletic movements in his play speed, okay? And he's not going to give you much in the run game. You just have to be honest about that as a coach. You do not bring him here to block on the edge when you're running outside zone. Okay, that's going to negatively impact your offense. You brought him here. To be a slot target. That's what I view Jimmy Graham at, at this stage of his career. He's a guy who can still stretch the seams. Okay, but you're also going to have to scheme him open. You just got to be honest. You're going to have to scheme him open. He's not going to win a lot of one-on-ones for you unless it's a 50-50 catch that he can go up and make a play on. So you're going to have to scheme him open. All right? So off of that, if you're still going to look at the position, you mentioned Cole Komet from Notre Dame. He's also local. Played at St. Viator High School uh, here in Chicago. Adam Trotman from Dayton is another one I want to look at. Again, Guy played at a smaller school, had a ton of production, absolutely stands out in the field. And when you look at the lower levels and you have an NFL talent in the field, they should stand out in the film. It's like if you're a high school coach and you're playing as a Division One player, you should take over the football game. You got that a lot with Troutman. Hunter Bryant from Washington is somebody to look at. Harrison Bryant from Florida Atlantic. Okay, Harrison Bryant is more of a receiving threat. That's what he is. And it really depends on what the Bears want. Because right now that depth chart, you got a bunch of names on there, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. You're overloaded at the tight end position. So you have to find out what you want because Jimmy Graham is not going to be your guy at the point of attack in the run game, but you're paying him to play. So he has to be a, a target for you when you have two tight end personnel on the field or when you have what's called 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, and your passing sets can be on the field. But when you want to run the football, who are going to be your guys at the point of attack? Because this offense has to start running the football. They have to start running the football, whether it's Trubisky or Nick Foles. They're not going to be efficient quarterbacks unless you can get something out of the run game, and that has to include the tight end position. I look at the quarterbacks that will be part of the NFL draft. I'm excited to see a lot of these guys. And the reason why is because when I'm investing all this time on Saturdays, Matt, and watching these guys, I, right. I know every one of these guys, and including being, me being a Georgia guy watching Jake Fromm. Uh, I'm, right. I'm happy for Fromm, by the way, moving on to the next level because <laughs> as good as he was, I mean, Matt, his offense or the offense that was put in is just couldn't catch up to the SEC as far as the amount of production that you see. Fromm was really good as far as you know handling the offense and and dictating the pace of the offense, but he was never a guy that was going to put up thirty, forty points. He wasn't Tua, he wasn't Burrow, he's he wasn't that guy, but he's still going to be, I think, steady in the league. 
All right, and he's the guy that's going to come in as a number two. And I agree with you on Georgia. You can look at DeAndre Swift, the running back, and I think was underutilized at Georgia, mm-hmm. who has traits that I think can really take off in the National Football League. I think he's the number one running back in this class because he has receiving traits. You can see that in how he moves and how that can transi- transition to a pro offense. A couple other guys, Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts is going to draft here higher than people expect. I really believe that. I think Jalen Hurts has intangibles you cannot teach in terms of his leadership skills, his toughness, his ability to command a room and run an offense. And then after Burrow, where does Tua go? Justin Herbert from Oregon. Jordan Love from Utah State is very interesting to me, Jonathan, because he has all the traits at the position. Okay, he has the movement skills. He has the arm talent. He can make second reaction plays and get outside the pocket and do things for it. But his tape is so inconsistent. I told someone the other day, if you look at all his 15-plus yard throws and put them together in a clip, he looks like a star. Then you go watch full games. Watch him versus LSU, Boise State, BYU against better competition. And the play is really up and down. So I think he has to go to a program that has a very strong coaching staff that can coach and mold those traits to fit the professional game. And he's not ready to play just yet. I think he has to wait and develop as a professional quarterback. But he has the traits. And we know that sells during the draft. Justin Herbert is a perfect example. Justin Herbert is six foot six, two thirty. He runs at the four six range. He's got the arm talent, but he's more of a see it throw guy, Jonathan. What I mean is, he wants guys to get open. He wants to see the numbers on the jersey. Mm-hmm. That's great in the Pac twelve. You can do that. You can't do that against the Packers. You can't do that against the Patriots. You can't do that against the Chiefs. You got to fit the ball in the tight windows. Again, he has the traits. He has the talent you want. He has the size you want in a professional offense. But when is he ready to play? There's there's areas of his game. Two is a little different. Tua is a very twitchy thrower. Ball comes out with speed. Played in the pro passing offense. What I mean by that, the Alabama route tree. There's a lot of run pass options in it, a lot of play action. If you look at the overall route tree, it fits the pro game. That's why Jerry Judy, I think, is the number one wide receiver. Now, the, the concerns with Tua are obviously the injuries. There, that has to be discussed with Tua. But where does he fall? Does he go number five to Miami? Does he go number six to L.A.? Does someone trade up to get him? He's going to be in that mix as well. Matt Bowen, ESPN. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Doing our NFL draft preview, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. And the ESPN Chicago app. So I'll be remiss as we continue on our NFL draft to talk some NFL news. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Rob Gronkowski. Interesting story about Rob Gronkowski, too, because here's a guy here that was a Super Bowl champion, just like Tom Brady was with the New England Patriots. One of the most or maybe the most powerful tight end we've ever seen in the position. And he shut it down at age 29. In 2018, he decided he wanted to retire, step away from uh, football, to party, to do his own thing. He was in the WWE for like 10 seconds and was the ambassador or the face of the WWE during WrestleMania. And all of a sudden, he decides he wants to go back to football, realizing that Tom Brady is now in Tampa. So the rights for Rob Gronkowski from New England gets traded to Tampa so Gronkowski and Brady can play together. Now, 
the thing I should have asked Mitch Moss, we just had him on from Beeson on, on Sports Gambling. I should have asked him if the number moved at all as far as the overall win total for Tampa now that Gronkowski's with Tampa. And um, I was going and reading about this earlier today to find out whether or not it had moved a little bit. And it has not moved much at all now that we know that Gronkowski is going to be with Tom Brady in Tampa. And the reason why is because if you take a look at how many games that Gronkowski has played, you know, the last time he played 16 games, a full season of regular season games, 2011. In 2012, he only played 11 games. In 2013, it was 7, 15, and 14, and 15, and then 8 games in 2016, 14 in 2017, and 13 in 2018. Durability issues and back issues. He was going to go for a fourth back surgery here this offseason. And it looks like he's going to try to be able to be well enough to play. He was listed when he left the game at 6'6", 268 pounds. I saw him at WrestleMania, just like everybody else did on television. And he doesn't look anything like 268 pounds. You know how like some of these athletes are, the big guys, they seem to shrink once they leave the football field. And so Gronkowski looked more like a small forward or power forward more so than a tight end that was powerful on the field. So I'll say that if there was a a bet to be made of how many games Gronkowski will play, I'll set it at uh, 12 and I'll take the under. Because on the surface, it sounds good. Brady and, and Gronkowski back together like the good old days. Not necessarily. Brady had to play without Gronkowski a lot because of Gronkowski's injuries, because of the bad back. And so, I guess to sell tickets in Tampa, just like Brady being there, Gronkowski being on the field is great. It's an attraction. But I don't believe that these two are going to be able to bring the magic that they once had together. They had in New England, because again, the difference in Brady and Gronkowski in Tampa and New England is that there will not be Bill Belichick on the sidelines. That magic will be staying in New England. It won't be in Tampa. That's no shot at the coaching staff at Tampa. What I'm saying is, is that it's just going to be different, really different. So, yeah, it's great. Gronkowski is coming back into the NFL just like Witten did a year ago, going back to Dallas. That's great. But that could be for money reasons. That could be because he doesn't want to play with New England anymore. Gronkowski was talking about this. Uh, one of the quotes was, he was talking about, it, was it hard for him to play in New England? I've learned more football than I have ever had in my whole entire life under Coach Belichick and, and just learning so much under uh, just the organization of Mr. Kraft, too. I mean, there's two guys that I looked up to and will always look up to. And uh, I'm not going to sit here and say it's an easy organization to play for. And I've also never played for another organization. I, I haven't even been down to Tampa yet. So I'm not even sure what to expect. Uh, But I know that, you know, that the New England Patriots, hands down, I mean, it it is not the easiest place to play, uh, but it it gets you right. It gets you mentally right. uh, It gets you physically right. And uh, what I've learned there is uh, I'm definitely going to take it with me. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't the easiest place, place to play, but it's football. It shouldn't be easy. And Brady wanted respect, and he wanted money. That's the number one thing. He wanted to be respected from a money standpoint, and was not toward the end. And so he decided to part ways. He was tired of being in New England. He wanted to see something different. And I can't hey, there's always fatigue, right? There was Brady and Belichick fatigue. 
Might have been uh, Belichick and Gronkowski fatigue. Yeah, he wasn't going to be this party animal doing whatever he wanted to do and having players take jello shots off of his uh, belly button in New England. But maybe in Tampa, that could be the case. Who knows? All I know is that Gronkowski says, yeah, you know, it might have been a little difficult. Okay, fine. Well, Belichick is looking for the best. He, he wants to get the best out of you. Will that happen in Tampa? Will you see the best of Gronkowski and Brady? Not so sure. Ben Hartsock is a talk show host for the Big Ten Network on Sirius XM. And the Ohio State Buckeye joined me, and we talked about a number of things, the best player in college football, quarterback prospects. But I also asked Ben, who was the best college football player that he watched this year? The easy answer is Chase Young. Uh, I remember seeing footage of him from training camp last summer where he was going through some drills, and, it, and it, maybe it was because he was wearing an Ohio State uniform and a practice uniform that I was so familiar with. Yeah. It almost gave me chills watching him. He was hitting a sled and, and just doing some athletic maneuvers it, just in practice that kind of made me shudder because he's a guy that, you know, the rush defensive end like him, but the, the guys that blocking tight ends like myself, that was that was what I made made my hay on every day. And, dude, he was, he's just one of these guys that looks like a different species. I mean, I know he kind of re- refers to himself as the predator, uh, and, and it's a pretty fitting term. I mean, these guys, these guys are so impressive. And, and so, so Chase Young is the first one that comes to mind. Uh, Simmons from um, Clemson is the other. Uh, just these, this new breed, this new style of linebacker that we're seeing that I called a couple of Clemson games this year. And uh, watching him and Brent Venables and the defense that, that Brent Venables was calling, having him up on the line of scrimmage and then at times drop into the deep third, the middle of the field. I mean, it was just amazing to watch this new style of uber-athletic linebackers because during the early part of my playing career, linebackers were guys like Willie McGinnis, guys like uh, Steve Foley and, and Mike Vrabel. These guys were six foot five, 270 pounds, and they were just anvils. Their heads, their heads were like sledgehammers. And now we live in this era of linebackers. It's kind of a renaissance. And, and Luke Keekley just just hung him up. But he's that new guy that I was a teammate with. That smaller, two hundred and thirty pounds, athletic enough to cover backs out of the backfield. And and uh, Simmons from from Clemson is that new breed. And he, I think he's another one that's going to stretch the envelope a little bit more because he almost is starting to look like a like a safety. Uh, even more so than a linebacker at this point. Ben, as you take a look at the quarterbacks in this year's draft, is there one quarterback in particular that you question on the next level? Who? Uh, not sure. I mean, I, I guess Herbert, in the sense that in some big games, uh, he blinked a little bit. Um, watching uh, Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, I know he's still a year away, but the the moment got big for him. Uh, in in that game against Clemson, it was such a great matchup to see Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow go head to head. And Trevor Lawrence is still a spectacular quarterback, but he blinked. And and that's when you look at Joe Burrow, uh, you know, who's who's just I mean, rewritten the books here, just had a you know a, a movie movie script worthy twelve months for him. Uh, the greatest thing I like about him uh, is his ability to handle pressure handle situations, and process information. Uh, I remember calling a Georgia game this earlier this season and, and talking about Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm may not have 
the cannon, the, the, the arm strength, the arm talent, however you want to quantify it, of some of these upper-level guys. But, but Jake Fromm is kind of like a Ryan Fitzpatrick in that Fitzpatrick is going to play 15 years in the NFL. A Josh McCown comes to mind as well. These guys that play long, successful NFL careers because mentally they can do it, but perhaps they don't have the ultimate super elite talent to thread the needle or make the deep ball, whatever those things may be. Jake Fromm is cut from that same kind of cloth. Yeah, I remember talking to James Coley, the former offensive coordinator for Georgia, during a pregame, and he says, you have to show up to install meetings. You as a coach had better have your stuff together because Jake Fromm will expose you. Now, he's too kind of a kid. He's such a good kid. He would never do it, but he will expose a coach that is not prepared to know what tendencies, pack, blitz pickup packages, blocking schemes. You have to be so far on it. So that to me, as I look at the college to transition to pro quarterbacks, you're seeing NFL teams now implementing less processing required at the pro level. That used to be the big differentiators. Can you run a pro-style offense? Can you make the reads at the line of scrimmage? Now, with the advent of read option, now with the advent of RPOs, it's more decisions made from the sideline, easier reads. But the reality is the reason why Drew Brees and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady uh, and I think Joe Burrow falls into that processing power, I don't know comparing Joe Burrow's career, he hasn't had it yet, but I'm saying the ability to process information, that to me is always going to trump athleticism. That's why Tom Brady's the greatest to ever do it, not the greatest athlete. He's not going to run a read option, but a read option can counteract the inability to process that information at the line of scrimmage. But if you can find a guy that can do it, you're going to win uh, as opposed to having that, that read option or that, that athletic style of quarterback play. As a Georgia fan, as you well know, Ben Hartsock, I wish I wish Jake Fromm well out of the program. I wish him well moving forward. Because, come on, man. That, you, know, you, you saw the kind of numbers you saw offensively in the SEC, and Jake was he was a, a terrific game manager and was smart out there, but it just it just wasn't in the cards for him to be able to light up a, a defense like you see with Joe Burrow, Tua when he was healthy, and some of these other quarterbacks. He's solid, <clears throat> but just it just it, you saw that season last year that uh, that was bowling shoe ugly at times offensively. They were they were winners. But Jake was not a guy that's going to put up 40 points anytime well, soon. Well, so I talked to basis. Brian Greasy, and, and, and I'll push back a little bit because I sat in and watched film with Brian Greasy leading up to the game. I called that uh, that game, and and Greasy was critical of, of Jake as well. Uh, you know, some of the, the footwork, some of the mechanics that Greasy would be better equipped to to analyze than I. But the uh, the shortcomings he had can be addressed, mm-hmm. and it's. You've got to kind of make a parallel to that. You can't fix. You can't fix stupid, right? Like right. I remember there was a comedian that used to talk about. I can, you know, I can take an ugly woman and make her pretty, but I can't fix stupid, right? Like <laughs> the, 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 you can't fix that with Jake. Fr- with the problems that Jake Fromm has can be can be corrected. Now, is he ever going to be the, the, the illustration I give for quarterbacks? High school quarterbacks can hit a door. College quarterbacks can hit a doorknob. NFL quarterbacks need to hit a keyhole. I don't know that Jake Fromm's ever going to hit the keyhole, but he can fix and get closer to that target. But you can't coach what he has in the ability to stand in there, process information, know the, the checks at the line of scrimmage. He will thrive in those types of environments. And, and that's why I give him 
to uh, comparisons to guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh McCown. Those guys are career 15-10, 15-year pros, not because they're the best at throwing the ball, but they're, they're leaders, they're managers, and, and when it comes down to it, you can't find 32 men on this planet that can hit the keyhole and throw and process the information like Drew Brees does. So you've got to decide, okay, am I going to go with, uh, you know, maybe even debatably say a Ryan Tannehill or, or an Andy Dalton uh, that maybe aren't of that caliber of, of the true elite, or do you take the flip side of that and do you take a Kyler, uh, Kyler Murray, do you take a Cam Newton, more athletic, but, not, but you're giving up some in the arm talent or space? Ben, uh, I'm I'm rooting for Tua. I hope that he is healthy enough for this next level. Just the way that he left college football was just devastating. The injury that he suffered, the crunching, uh, what that happened to him was just amazing. What What do you think about yeah. him on the next level? I, I I'm hoping that whatever he had in college, he can bring to the pros. But an injury like that, I don't know if we will see the same Tua. What What's your evaluation on him? Well, I think a lot of what Tua did. Well, I, I called a couple of Bama games and saw him firsthand. Mm-hmm. And there are things that he does and did in the past two seasons that they are they are magic in a way that it's hard to comprehend. To to be scrambling to the right, throw back to the left, and and connect with Henry Ruggs in a window that is just so so tight. There are so many throws of Tua's that are these moments where, as fans, we watch and we go, oh. Whoa! Like you, you're thinking this is disaster, but then in the next instant, it's elation, and that's kind of you see the coach on the sidelines saying, "No, no, 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 yes!" At the very end, right? Like, I just wonder: is two of the guy that can the ball bounced the right way a lot of times, or does he is he one of these guys that can do those magic types of throws? This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Also the home for the NFL Draft. Our coverage starts tomorrow night right here on ESPN 1000. Uh, I was part of a show that talked to Cole Kubik. If you know that name, Cole Kubik is um, a former player and SEC analyst for the SEC Network. We talked about the best defensive player. We talked about the favorite wide receiver in Tua and Joe Burrow. Uh, he was asked, how how do you view Tua in the draft and on the next level? One talent, um, I, but I, I just don't think you can slide by and completely ignore the durability question. This is not one or two major injuries that are happening. I mean, he's had that tightrope procedure on both ankles. Uh, you know, the hip injury is one that is extremely uncommon for football players. Let's, we, I mean, we, we could spend a segment just talking about coming back from that and, and how many guys have had a similar injury and be able to play at a high level again. It's just not something that we've seen a lot of. Uh, he had other smaller injuries that kept him out of spring football. You go back to a season two years ago, he set the SEC record for trips into the injury tent on the sideline. I mean, it, his durability has to be a real a real point of concern for you here. And, you know, it's, there are a lot of guys that I have concerns about in the top end of this draft. And when you're talking about somebody coming off the board at three or five or seven or nine, that's different than talking about, you know, is this guy a first-round talent or is this guy worth an early second-round pick? You're coming off the board in the top five. 
we anticipate you're going to come in and help our franchise right away and not just help us, but you're going to help us in an elite manner because that's the kind of investment that you're making on that young man. You can guarantee me to his health. He anticipates, has accuracy, levels the football better than any quarterback in this draft. He has the best arm talent in this draft. But I need to know that my guy's going to be playing. I need to know he's going to be on the field. He, he can have the best arm in the world, the most accurate arm uh, in, the, in the galaxy. But if he's not playing, who cares? It, it doesn't matter. So I think situationally this is going to be interesting to watch because if you can get Tua in a scheme that's going a little bit more RPO heavy, that is a quick distribution scheme and has some of the weapons around him that can help him get the ball out on time, get the ball out quickly, and then a coaching staff that maybe can help him understand how to live to fight another day, not to attempt to extend plays the manner in which he did a lot of times at Alabama, then he can be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. But if you're weighing the investment and the risk and the option versus a guy like Joe Burrow, I'm going Joe Burrow because I think he has he's just as much, if not more, of a competitor. Uh, the guy's a winner. The guy understands the game. He's a student of the game. He deflects success as much or more than any successful college football player I've ever seen. And he's a guy that his teammates are going to gravitate to. And by the way, he can make every throw. He's got underrated mobility. And he's been playing in a pro-style offense that he's going to be playing into it like he is in the NFL. So the injury concerns are very real for me for Tua. Um, I think situationally, depending on who it is, like let's just say New England. I know New England's interested in Tua. I don't know if that means they have what it takes to be able to make jump up and make that move, but you got Jared Stidham out of Auburn, a guy they really like, looked really good in the preseason a year ago. You got Hoyer back in camp, somebody that you know you're familiar with. So you could go a season, season and a half, or maybe even just see what Tua can do, say, on the back third of the season, kind of like Tennessee did with Jeffrey Simmons last year, and hold him out for a while, sort of give him a, a 70% red shirt or a three-quarter red shirt, if you will, and then get him in the facility, make him a pro, let him understand how it's going to work, how to react, how, who he's going to be around. And you kind of go from there because they have the pieces and the understanding and the wherewithal of what it takes to be a championship franchise right now. If you're talking about a Miami that needs pretty much everything, and I mean, you guys tell me who's the best player on the Miami Dolphins offense. It's a lot of people are going to have to sit around and think about that before they give you that answer. I don't know if the two is the kind of guy that you want to bring in right now and say, all right, kid, go out there and, and knock him dead. Good luck with everything. So I think the situation and where he goes and how, how that team is already built, where he ends up, will say a lot about how he's going to be able to contribute in the first year or two. Cole, when you saw Joe Burrow last year, which game stood out to you most where the light came on and said, yep, that guy's going to be a, a difference maker for the, an NFL team? The Texas game, because I, I think it's funny. My, my show on, on WJOX in Birmingham a couple months ago, we went and found SEC Media Day's audio from Joe Burrow. And I, I actually couldn't believe it. And I remember the questioning now, and, and people were just sort of peppering him with questions of, are you guys really going to throw the ball? Is this really going to look different? Is this really going to be a, a makeover, an overhaul? And he's just sitting there, like just he's begging these people to believe him, but also understanding, hey, man, I get it. It's it's been like this for a while. People have been asking these questions for years. I understand it, he said, but all I can tell you is you will be surprised with what you see. So I think a lot of us, even going into the season, after having talked to him and even seen him in the non-con game early on, we weren't necessarily sure that it was really going to be different. And then you get that third and 18, third and 17, whatever it was, and you see him throw a strike on a dig route that picks up the first down and they go down and win it, and you're thinking – 
because they didn't have to. They didn't have to try to get that first down right there, based on the situation of the game. And you're thinking, okay, the mentality is different, the thought process is different, everything is different. And then I actually was on the sideline for their next game at Vanderbilt, and that's when they really won me over. So thoughts there from Cole Kublik, who was uh, a guest with us uh, from the SEC Network. Does a great job breaking down the NFL draft. Well, over the last 30 days, we've had some great guests uh, previewing the draft. You heard from them right here on ESPN 1000. Don't forget, tomorrow night, I'll be on with Freddie Coleman as we break down the NFL draft from after round one until about one in the morning right here on ESPN 1000. Our thanks to you for listening. Our, our thanks to Sean Davis on the other side of the glass producing and directing the show. Shout out to my guy, Sylvie. We're Sylvie Strong through what he's going through right now. My teammate, Mark Silverman, all the best to him and his family. Um, I know that he's going to make it because he's a strong dude. He's not only Skokie Strong, but he's Sylvie Strong. Uh, we're alone together in this. I hope that you can join me tomorrow night. If not, how about Friday, 6 to 11, right here on ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. From State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio, this is WMVP Chicago. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. This is ESPN 1000.